Well, good morning. For those of you uh, who might be new, I'm Jason Coker. I'm one of the co-ministers here at Oceanside Sanctuary. Good morning. It's really good to see you today. Um, I've been out of town for the past several days, and uh, it feels a little bit like coming home when I step into this space and see all of you, so I'm grateful for that. We have been, as many of you already know, on a series that I am sort of loosely calling Women of Resurrection. We're looking at characters from the New Testament who are women whose lives of leadership exemplify the resurrection of Christ as we're in this in-between time between Easter and Pentecost. And today what I'd like to do is ask you to turn to Romans chapter 16. If you have your Bible, you can turn there to Romans 16, or if you don't, we'll go ahead and put these passages up on the screen, Romans 16, verses 1 and 2. Today, I want to begin by reading this passage uh, and then ask you just to take a moment again in prayer with me before we really jump into it. Romans 16, verse 1 and 2 says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Sincrea, so that you may welcome her in the Lord, as is fitting for the saints. And help her in whatever way she may require of you. For she has been a benefactor of many and of myself as well. Would you just pray with me? God, thank you again for today. Thank you for this space that we have on the corner of Freeman and Topeka. Thank you for the heritage of this space that for the better part of 150 years, this congregation has been present in this community, that for nearly 100 years, we've been present in this building. Now, this building was a space where, uh, during the Great Depression, a woman could lead Grandma Grace and open a soup kitchen to feed those who were in need, to minister to their needs. And, we thank you how that heritage informs our ability to be a church that can be led by ministry, by attending to the needs of others, including women. We pray, God, that as we continue to look at these passages, that you would open our minds and our hearts to see the beauty in them. And we might be changed by that in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul here is writing, of course, the letter to the church in Rome, and here at the end of his letter, he does what is customary. He closes with some sort of uh, closing salutations, right? Like closing words to those who are at the church, and this is going to lead to a kind of long list of greetings, but here in chapter 16, verse 1, we have this seemingly easy-to-miss salutation towards Phoebe. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Sincrea. This is notable because in my Bible, the New Revised Standard Version, Paul refers to this woman Phoebe as a deacon. Now, a deacon is essentially in the Greek, a servant, a minister. Right? Diakonos means somebody who literally attends to the needs of others, most commonly in the expression of serving food to people who are hungry. This is why in Acts, when deacons are appointed, they are appointed specifically to serve the needs of the hungry in the community. 
because the, the apostles have become so overwhelmed by the needs of the community. There are so many hungry people that are in need that they appoint people to be deacons to serve the needs of those who are hungry in the community. So it conjures up this image of someone who willingly attends to the needs of others. Somebody who wants to meet their needs and their desires out of a sense of willingness to help them in the way that they require. This is in ancient Greco-Roman society, a lot like paying honor to them. Honor, of course, in the ancient Greco-Roman society is different than honor in the way that we think of it today in the Western world. We tend to think of honor or pride as something that you have intrinsic to yourself. I know who I am. I know my identity. I believe in who I am. I have a sense of pride in that. And the honor that I have in this community comes from that internal source of confidence or well-being or self-assurance. But in the ancient world, that is not how honor worked. Honor was bestowed upon you by others. It was a kind of socially constructed social status. And so people, for example, who were the most honorable tended to be those who had the most power. They tended to be the richest, the heads of large households. They were literally, typically, men who stood as a kind of icon that represented the wealth and the power of the household or the government or the community that they represented. And so honor for them came from this sort of external source. So here, when we engage with this biblical notion of a deacon, a diakonos, somebody who derives their honor not from what they receive from others, the admiration, the power, the subservience, the the acquiescence to them. Instead, diakonos are those who gain their honor from serving. This should sound a lot like Jesus to you if you've been paying any attention as a Christian This is, of course, exactly how we talk about leadership in Christianity, or at least in the biblical tradition. This is the Christian notion of leadership. We find it most obviously in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus famously intervenes in a kind of argument between two brothers, James and John, who are vying for a high position of honor in Jesus's new insurgency. Right? They're convinced that Jesus is going to overthrow the Romans and that he's going to establish a new kingdom, a new government with God at the head, which can't lose, can't fail. And James and John see their opportunity to be like second in command of this new kingdom. So they're fighting over it. Jesus intervenes, of course, and Matthew 24 says, when the 10 heard Jesus say that you do not know what you're asking for by being in this place of honor, when the 10 heard them say this, Uh, They were angry with the two brothers, but Jesus called them to him and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. It will not be so among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. This is for Jesus what power and honor in the kingdom of God, in the economy of God, in the community of God looks like. It doesn't look like hoarding power, hoarding esteem, hoarding influence. It looks like giving it away, just like serving food to hungry people. 
And so this is why the dominant expression of leadership in the New Testament begins to look like a deacon, somebody who meets the needs of others willingly out of a desire to pay them honor. Of course, this title, this title of deacon that we see here in Romans chapter 16 does become over time a place of authority. So look how Paul continues. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Sincrea, so that you may welcome her in the Lord as is fitting for the saints and help her in whatever she may require of you, in whatever way she may require of you. So this economy, this sort of way of being in a Christian community that gains its authority by serving the needs of others, it, it operates in a kind of mutuality. As you give respect and honor and help to other people, then they should in turn give it back to you. There is a kind of mutual exchange, and that is a relational authority. This shouldn't sound that complicated. This is how authority works very naturally for most people who are in healthy relationships. When you're in a relationship with somebody that is healthy, you are attending to their needs as you are able, and they are attending to yours as they are able, and you are working together to make sure that each of you exists in the world in the healthiest most enjoyable, happiest, most liberated way possible. But notice that there is already a kind of authority attached to this notion of deacon. In fact, if you had a new international version of the Bible with you, or a new King James version, or an old King James version, or a variety of other versions of the Bible, this passage would read a little differently. It wouldn't say, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon. It would say, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant. Because over time, most translations of the Bible have removed from Phoebe the word deacon, or minister, and replaced it with servant. Elsewhere, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, for example, when deacon specifically refers to men, the word deacon or minister is used. But just as we've seen in other passages up to this point, there is a tendency at any time a sense of authority, any time a sense of honor, any time a sense of leadership is bestowed upon a position, women tend to have that label removed from them. And so I thank God for the new Revised Standard Version, which recognizes that the word deacon is applied by Paul to Phoebe. She is a leader in the church. And notice this, for she has been a benefactor of many, and of myself as well. Paul not only positions Phoebe as a leader in the church, a leader who operates from a place of service, from a place of meeting the needs of others, but that service has been so great that Paul calls her a benefactor. We see exactly the same dynamic at play in Luke chapter 8. By the way, I don't know if you have noticed this before, but in Luke chapter 8, there is this 
fascinating account of the disciples of Jesus. And I want to read it to you. I know it's not up on the screen, so give me a second while I turn there. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 says, Soon afterwards, speaking of Jesus, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. These are the twelve male disciples. As well, verse 2, as some women who'd been cured of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa and Susanna, and many others, here's the key bit, who provided for them out of their resources. Many of you know this already, but Jesus' entire ministry was essentially funded by women, especially this woman, Joanna, who happened to be married to the head of Herod's household. Yes, that Herod, King Herod, the Greco-Roman ruler of that entire area, the person who was second in command, the person in charge of Herod's household, that person was funding the ministry, the insurgency of Jesus. These three women apparently were women of means and resources, and they funded Jesus' ministry as a benefactor. Phoebe plays the same role for Paul and others in the church. And this, by the way, it's not just a question of money. This is, as I said a moment ago, how the kingdom of God works. Leadership, ministry, service in the kingdom of God is the expression of mutual care and concern. It is meeting the needs of those who have less than you. Paul says this very memorably in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He is fundraising in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He's appealing to the wealthy Christians in Corinth. He's appealing to them to help the Christians in Jerusalem who are struggling to make ends meet. And he says to the people in Corinth, the Christians in Corinth, listen, now would be a good time for you to send some money to the church in Jerusalem because they are struggling. And then he says something that I think is incredibly beautiful if we have eyes to see it. He says, don't get me wrong. Our desire is not that you would be hard-pressed while they would be relieved, but rather our desire is that at this present time you would give out of your abundance to meet their needs so that in the future they might do the same because this is how the economy of God works. In this way, Paul says, there is equality. But this, for those of you who don't know, is not generally the history of humanity in the world. We generally do not strive for equality. We generally do not strive to make sure that every single person within our scope has their needs met. We do not take the extra that we have and say to ourselves, I've got a little bit more than I need here. I'm going to make sure that this person who's struggling has enough. Instead, we tend to exist in the world from a place of competition and dominance and greed. So, 
the way leadership works in the kingdom of God is in exact opposition to the way that leadership works in our world. It is, in fact, a distinctively grace-oriented way of being in the world, because this is what grace is. It is the meeting of needs where there is a lack out of an abundance that you might have. God's grace for us, us is not just God's like willingness to overlook our sin. For many of us, that is how we understood grace growing up. Grace meant that no matter how bad I am, no matter how many lies I tell, no matter how much lust I have in my heart, no matter how self-centered I am, grace means that God is willing to overlook all of that because Jesus was crushed on the cross. That's a whole nother conversation. We're not going to go there. The point is, that's not grace. Grace is the gift that you receive out of the abundance of somebody else. It's empowerment. Grace is, like John the Baptist said in Luke, when I have two shirts, I give one to somebody who doesn't have it. That's grace. I give it to you because you need it. I give it to you because I have it. Not because you purchased it. Not because you earned it. Not because you own it. In fact, neither of us owns it. All of it. Every bit of it. Every single bit Good and beauty in our lives is a gift of grace. That's what we mean by God. This economy, this way of being in the world, this posture of goodness and grace, you might say is very stereotypically feminine. That the way of being in the world that sees all of life as a zero-sum economy of competition whereby I scratch and claw and fight with you to get everything that I want, whether I need it or not, is stereotypically masculine energy. But a way of being in the world where I say, I will only take what I need... And I will give to those who are hungry. I will help to serve those who are sick. I will meet the needs of those who are poor and marginalized and oppressed. That is a very stereotypically feminine way of being in the world. And that is not to say that men cannot be feminine or that women cannot be masculine. It is to challenge the very notions of masculinity and femininity and leadership and goodness. Given that Jesus commends that the kingdom of God is a very feminine way of being, the question we should be asking ourselves in the church is not, can women lead? It's, can men lead? Can men lead in the church without insisting on their way, without domineering every conversation, without acting like they know the answers when we all know they don't, without fighting and scrapping and competing and denigrating every person around them in order to reach the top? This is how men have taught to be in the world. It's how they've been taught to be in the world. 
The Chicano scholar Linda Perez notes that the history of our civilization has reproduced, quote, wittingly and unwittingly, a Eurocentric colonial logic that continues to disparage and discredit women, gay men, and the indigenous in favor of the image of a male or male-like Eurocentric specimen. Let me decode that for you. We very much live in a culture that has held up a particular kind of man, typically one who looks a lot like me, white, straight, cis, married to a woman with children as the ideal of human potential. Jesus has challenged all of that. Paul is challenging all of that. What they are essentially saying is that that is not how God is. When we sang this song earlier today, we are singing to God to lead us. You remember that song? Joey was leading us in this chorus about God leading us. It occurred to me, sitting there, singing those words, that if our idea of God is bathed in masculinity, the kind of masculinity that dominates and controls, the kind of masculinity that puts you in your place, that judges you if you are wrong, that, that comes down on you for making mistakes, then those are hard words to sing in worship. But that is not who God is, says Jesus. That is not who God is, says Paul. All of this matters because this is the water in which we swim. It takes intentionality to overcome the sin of colonized masculinity. It takes intentionality to women or to liberate women, and then ultimately to liberate all of us from these concepts of power. This is why it matters for us to honor women in leadership. It's why we try to do that in this church. It's why we are doing this in this series. Because even though I'm the one standing up here doing the talking, the truth is, is we all need to wrestle with the fact that women can and do lead in ways that reflect the image of God. In this church, what that means specifically is affirming the leadership of people like Janelle Coker, Lucy Salazar, who's an elder at this church, Jen Zoutendyke, who is an elder at this church, Victoria McGoldrick, who has for years been leading our pantry ministry, Jen Nations and Chelsea Homeland, who lead our Justice Works team, Laura Holland, who helps lead our queer committee, Stephanie Moss, who is not here, but helps lead our processing religious trauma group, Leanne McInerney, who is watching online right now and mortified that I have said her name out loud. <laughs> who helps lead our book club, Stephanie Hendrick, 
who helps lead our pantry ministry alongside Victoria and Alex. Deanne Akerson, Donna Runyon, Sue Dwyer-Voss, Brenda Van Vrieswick, who all lead community groups at this church. And Alexis Brunstead, who most recently has come on staff and is already leading me, y'all, in ways <laughs> that have sorely been needed. These are not the only women in this church who are ministering and serving and leading in their own way. But we have to stop erasing women from the work that they do because they do it whether they're recognized or not. And that is the point. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this opportunity for us to gather. We thank you for the example of Phoebe. We thank you for the way that Scripture, if we read it from a new perspective, if we read it with fresh eyes, if we read it with open hearts and open minds, can still challenge and stretch us sometimes beyond our comfort zone. We ask that you would help to grow our hearts so that we can become a church that recognizes the leadership of all who serve the needs of people in this community, no matter what their gender, their race, their socioeconomic status, their sexuality, that we would become a church that serves out of your goodness and beauty and truth. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, what a service. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for sharing today. If you want to get involved, if you like what's happening here, we've got a lot of ways to do that. So the first is... Our very special class, How Not to Read the Bible, starts on 516. It's six weeks long. So, okay, did anyone learn something new about the Bible today in the sermon? Like, oh, I didn't know that about deacons. I didn't know that about the women, right? Imagine that on steroids for like six weeks. <laughs> Seriously, that's what this class is like. Jason has put together a brilliant class. You're going to love it. It's going to really teach you how to understand the Bible in a different way. Uh, next up, we have our Roots class, which is on Saturday, May 13th. That's this Saturday, right? Yeah, this Saturday. So if you are new, if you are curious about things that are happening here, our legacy, then this is a great class for you. For instance, when he talked about Grandma Grace and the Great Depression, right? Those are all the little things you're gonna learn about what makes us unique and different here. So join us for that. We'd love to see you. And lastly, we have a great way to get involved, to be a deacon of sorts in feeding the people uh, with Brother Benos on 526. This is going to be in the morning. So we're partnering with them. Victoria is helping us do that to serve breakfast to our neighbors without homes. So yeah, we'd love to see you at that as well. 
And lastly, if you'd like to support our mission, what's happening here, you can give online, you can give in the back, or you can just hand me money and I'll make sure it gets to the right person. Um, you know, I just want to say thank you to all the deacons in this church. I think as I was listening to Jason, I was just thinking about all the people I work with here, mostly women, to be honest, who keep me in line, who keep me straight. But honestly, just thank you. Thank you for being a deacon. And maybe this week, as Janelle was talking about finding those little ways to give beauty into the world, maybe think about how, how could I be a deacon for someone this week? So may the peace of God be with you. Let the